Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Jonah. Our text is going to be verses 1 to 3, but once we begin to read the scripture, we'll go ahead and read the whole first chapter so that we can try to catch everything that's going on here, everything in context, as as what we need, of course. This is is one of those books that uh, retains for us a very, very familiar account. no doubt in Sunday school, growing up, all kinds of things you know, that we learn in, in, as children. This is one of those accounts that we learn of, of Jonah being swallowed up by a great fish. And depending on who we learned it from, it would either be a great fish or a whale. But it's actually a great fish, as we read of in the scriptures. And we have a lot of familiarity with this account. It is one that is often debated as well as to the historicity of it. Did it actually happen? Is it, you know, more poetical language or a metaphor for something else? There's a lot of talk about this particular account. And, of course, it's not just centered on Jonah um, being swallowed by a great fish. There's actually a much, much more uh, great uh, theme to this book Uh, much more great teaching in this book than simply uh, Jonah being swallowed up by a great fish because he disobeyed the Lord. This book is full of God's grace and God's mercy, and we see that even in the Old Testament time, that mercy and that grace not only being extended to Jonah, who is indeed one of the people of God. He is a Hebrew, as he will say to the sailors Uh, on the ship that he is on, but also to Gentiles, and not only to Gentiles, but specifically to even the enemies of Israel. God's grace and his mercy extended to them. There's, again, there are numerous views to this book, uh, various ideas. There's no, no shortage of them, especially when we get to that point of Jonah being swallowed up by the great fish. Was he actually alive in those three days, or did he actually die and then was resurrected? And some would say that he actually died because he would pray to the Lord out of the depth of Sheol, I have called to you, and Sheol being the place that is the um, equivalent of the New Testament word for Hades, which is the place of the dead. Uh, So some would say perhaps that is what is happening here. And plus where Jesus himself talks about Jonah... And he says that just as when the Pharisees and all of them were, were calling upon Jesus to give them some kind of a sign, Jesus says no sign is going to begin but the sign of Jonah. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So some would say for that comparison to be true, that Jesus actually died and rose again, it has to be too that Jonah actually died and was resurrected. Now, that is one view, of course, and the other view is is that the Lord preserved him for three days within the belly of the great fish. And that seems to be what the text is uh, giving to us. 
Because one, one thing in particular is that as Jonah is praying his prayer and he is saying he cried for help from the depth of Sheol, him being a Hebrew, him being a prophet, him being one of the Lord's people, it is not very likely that Jonah actually died and went to a place of some kind of torment or some kind of suffering uh, and where he cries out to the Lord. That would not make any sense. So the fact of the Lord preserving him for three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish and then him crying out from there, that would make much more sense. But, again, there's no shortage of, of ideas as you come to Jonah. One of the main things to understand as we're working through this book, because this is the book that we are starting. We're not just going over a portion of this. We are moving through this book. Is that this is a true account. This is during probably the mid-8th century B.C. That Jonah is sent to Nineveh to preach to them, to call them to repentance. And this is, this is a time in which Nineveh, the great city, is, a, is again one of the enemies of Israel. Uh, Nahum has much to say about Nineveh. If you read the other minor prophet, Nahum speaks of all the wickedness. And we'll look at a few portions of that as well as we're working through this book. But Jesus treats the account of Jonah as a true history. This actually took place. This actually happened. This isn't just a fairy tale. It's not just a, a fanciful story to come up with some kind of a point at the end like a parable or anything like that. This is history. This actually happened. And in this book, again, you see the grace and mercy of God, but you see the sovereignty of God as well throughout this whole account. And it is one that, that just brings the grace of God and just, just sets it on display for us. Though the prophet is, is determined to do what, what the Lord has said otherwise, he will do what God said. But there's a great, a great account at the end where the Lord teaches him of grace and mercy. You know, it's, uh, you know, going into this book, I'm you know, kind of reminded of, of an account that uh, John MacArthur had talked about that some of us are familiar with that he was preaching the gospel to this guy or declaring the gospel, sharing the gospel. It was a one-on-one -on -one kind of a setting. And this guy had actually brought up this book, and specifically the account of Jonah. He interrupts MacArthur in the middle of giving him the gospel, and he says, you mean to tell me you really believe that some guy was swallowed up by a fish? And MacArthur said, we'll get to Jonah in a little bit. Finish giving the guy the gospel. The guy converted and so then after they prayed together, then MacArthur said, no, if you want to, we can go back and talk, to, talk about Jonah. He's like, well, if, if it says it, then I believe it. And you're like, that is such an amazing account of how this book is viewed by outsiders, by unbelievers. And in the moment of their conversion, everything changes. And they understand very clearly that this is a historical book, a historical account. As we work our way through this, I pray indeed that it would help to, to solidify us in, in our walk with Christ, to encourage us to fulfill our calling, and to encourage us to share the gospel with those 
even, even those that we would deem to be unreachable and show them the mercy and grace of God as he has shown to us. So tonight we're going to go over the first three, or excuse me, first four verses, and then um, we will continue on from there next Wednesday. But we will read the whole chapter um, as we are standing to honor God's word. If you would, please stand with me. This is the inerrant, authoritative, infallible words of the living God. Let us give our attention to the scripture. Chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship, uh, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it, to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, lain down and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots so that we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us now on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you? that the sea may become calm for us, for the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. He said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that on account of me this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed deep desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, we earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish, Three days and three nights. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Gracious God, we honor you. We praise you. Father, we thank you for this portion of your word, for what it teaches us, how it sets before us what a gracious and merciful God that you are, even to those that are regarded 
as enemies of your people. For you are indeed a gracious God. As we work our way through this passage, O Father, let our hearts just be kindled with, with, with such a great desire, Father, to honor you. To, to follow through with what it is that you've called us to do. To be bold and courageous. To show grace and mercy as you have shown to us. Father, thank you so much once again for your word. And may the spirit of God adhere to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> so this is one of those accounts as well where we, we tend to, we, we try to guess what is going on as to why Jonah is going to flee. We read that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. The Lord has spoken to him. He is indeed a true prophet. He is a Hebrew. He is one who knows the very character of God. And the Lord has commanded him, go to Nineveh. And instead, Jonah is going to go the opposite way. It's like, why did he do that? And there's, again, a variety of views there. Maybe he went... He went to Tarshish, or he was going there, because he, he's, he's not one who, who likes Gentiles altogether, which wouldn't be true because he's, he's going to tell these men whom he was on the ship with what they need to do in order that their lives will be spared. And this is not, by the way, an instance in which he is just telling them uh, that, th- that they need to throw him overboard and whatever um, to save to save their lives in all of this, he is intending as well for them to throw him overboard because he wants. He, this is bear with me because he intends for himself to die rather than saying yes, Lord, I will go. Let's turn the ship around. So he is indeed having mercy on the Gentiles. Otherwise, if it was just a matter that he wanted to die anyway, he could have just said, "Yep, you're going with me." If he indeed hated Gentiles, as what some would say, but that's not the case. He had mercy on those that were on the ship with him, even though he himself was still in a rebellious state. And so that's not the case. Maybe he didn't want to go to Nineveh because it was the great enemy of Israel. And maybe he was nervous about going there because he himself being a foreigner. That's one thought. Maybe he didn't want to go there because he goes to Nineveh that is already a great enemy of Israel. And he goes preaching through there. Who knows what's going to happen to him? Nahum, the prophet Nahum, has much to say about Nineveh. But here's some of the things that Nahum says in Nahum chapter 3 against Nineveh. Verse 1, he says, Woe to the bloody city, completely full of lies and pillage. Her prey never departs. The noise of the whip, the noise of rattling of the wheel, galloping horses and and bounding chariots, horsemen charging swords, flashing spears, gleaming, many slain, a mass of corpses and countless dead bodies. They stumble over the dead bodies. All because of the many harlotries of the harlot, the charming one, the mistress of sorceries who sells nations by her harlotries and families by her sorceries, and it goes on. Nahum talks about the great bloodshed of this city, 
the wickedness of the city. Even the Lord's going to say, their wickedness has risen up into my presence. Maybe Jonah doesn't want to go there because of that, because he's worried about himself as to what's going to happen when he gets there. He goes preaching through the city. What if they kill him? What if they attack him? What if this? What if that? That's, that's not the case either, in, in my opinion, though some do hold to that. It seems more in line that Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh because specifically the Lord is concerned about Nineveh. If the Lord just intended on judging the nation or judging this particular city, he would have never had to say anything to Jonah and just leave them in their sin and let them endure their their righteous judgment. But the fact that they're being brought up to Jonah is is a signal to him God is gracious. He wants me to go there because the city may repent. At least in his mind, may repent. It will repent on account of the Lord. That's the very thing that Jonah says to the Lord in chapter 4. That he, he knew that he was a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. He knew the character of the Lord. And he did not want to go because he knew what was going to happen. He's not, he's not antagonistic against all Gentiles, but specifically the Ninevites? Absolutely. In just a short while, if this is in the mid-8th century B.C., not a short time later, this city or this empire, the Assyrian Empire, is going to come in and they're going to take the northern kingdom. Now, he, he doesn't want to go. That's the whole point. He doesn't want to go because he doesn't want to see him repent. He wants, to, he wants to see their judgment. And so he knows what would happen if he does. So here are some things that, that are happening. One, you see that God's sovereign, you see God's sovereign right to call and command regardless of what one is feeling. He tells Jonah, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now, we, we think sometimes that, well, the Lord mainly uses people that are more willing than others, maybe. Since I'm not willing or th- this and is going on in my life, that maybe the Lord would have somebody else to do this or do that. And that's not the case. The Lord has the right to call you and command you regardless of what is happening in your life and regardless of how you feel about it. It doesn't matter how we're feeling about something. What matters is is that the sovereign God has called and we as his people submitting to his lordship are to obey. He has the, he has that right because he is the lord. He's the lord of all. He's the sovereign God. He's the king. So what right then do we as creatures have to say to the the great king, I'm just not feeling it. Maybe you should choose someone else. Well, that doesn't happen. And you see something else here too. Not only does God have this sovereign right to call and command as he sees fit, because this is his will. History is his story. He brings all things 
in, to pass as, as he sees fit. And there is a, there's, a, there's a need for an intercessor, a mediator, to go to a specific city. And he's not going to say, well, Jonah, since you really don't like these people, I'll, I'll just I'll get somebody else. You know, it's okay. Everything's okay. I'll just I'll pick somebody else. And you think about this. You think the, the demeanor of Jonah. One, he's going to go the opposite way. But two, whenever a great storm comes on the sea, what is he doing? He's sleeping. He's at total peace with what he's doing in his rebellion. This isn't a situation in which you have like some of the prophets or some of the psalmists who talk about the, the heavy hand of the Lord and they couldn't sleep and, and all of this sort of thing through the night because the hand of the Lord was upon them. Their, their conscience was, was bearing witness against them or any of that. Jonah's sound asleep. He's perfectly fine with what he's doing. Perfectly fine in this rebellion. But there is something that has... That, that is needful for specifically him to do, which is he to go to Nineveh. And not only to go to Nineveh specifically for this particular people, but it is to go to Nineveh specifically to help sanctify Jonah even more. You think about the, the nature of all of this. The Lord is saying, this, the wickedness of this people have come up before me. Go. And preach. This is the very thing that we find within the Great Commission. Go and preach. This is a people that is that is perishing under the heavy hand of God, under the judgment of God. And Jonah doesn't care. Maybe somebody else. That's somebody else's problem. We'll look at that. But we forget this. Because Jonah rises up to flee from the presence of the Lord. He's going to go down to Joppa, which is about 50 miles. Then he's going to get on a ship headed for Tarshish, which is, some believe, depending on, again, who you're reading, maybe, maybe over near Spain. And in any event, wherever it's at, because uh, there's a variety of opinions on that, Nineveh is to the west. Jonah goes east. He's, he's going the opposite direction. And he's going the opposite direction because he is, as the passage tells us, he is fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Now, what exactly does that mean? Jonah is not dumb. Okay, Jonah knows the very character of God. Jonah knows the God that he serves. This is Yahweh, the, the one who exists, the one who is the self-sufficient, independent one, just by his very name, conveys those things to his people. He's not trying to flee the presence of the Lord in the sense that the Lord's going to be over in Israel, and I'm going this way over here to another part of the world in order that I can just be out of his presence. Because as we read in the opening psalm, Psalm 139 where can I go from your spirit? There's nowhere Jonah can go. But he knows that. 
Again, he's, he's not ignorant when it comes to the character of God, but what is it that he's doing? He is fleeing from the presence of the Lord in the sense that he is fleeing from his calling and office as God's prophet. That's what he's doing. He's basically giving it up, saying, I'm out. What you have called of me, somebody else can do. I'm going to another part of the earth, and you can just call somebody else, because I'm not going to do it. That's what he's doing. He's abandoning his calling because of the implications of his calling in obeying the Lord is go to Nineveh. I don't want to go to Nineveh. So, here. I don't, I don't want this. I'm going somewhere else. That's what he's doing. Obviously, he can't flee from the presence of the Lord. He's abandoning the call that God has placed on his life. Now we think of that, maybe that causes thoughts in our mind to be, I mean, this is a prophet of the Lord. This is one to whom the Lord speaks to, that gives revelation to, in order to preach to the people. This is God specifically communing with him. Now he's a contemporary of other prophets, specifically of other minor prophets. A contemporary of Isaiah, some of these guys. So the Lord has other prophets. But think of... I mean, just, just consider that of, of the great privilege that the prophets had for the Lord to speak to them and to declare new things about him that perhaps were not revealed beforehand, but the Lord revealing it through his prophets. What a great privilege. What a great honor. Now, granted, prophets were not treated well in Israel, and as we see even with uh, Isaiah, for example, I mean, King Manasseh is going to have Isaiah killed. And you think of Isaiah as one of the great prophets of the Lord and all of this. So it's not as if they had everything going wonderful for them. But the great privilege that they did have was to be used by the Lord to speak to the people of God. For God to directly give them revelation. To speak to them and commune with them in a way that he did not when it come to the rest of the people. And Jonah is so stubborn and so set in his rebellion that he says, have it back. If this is what I have to do, I don't want it. Call somebody else. I'm going to go this way. Now we may think of Jonah and we th may think, what kind of a person would do that? Think of this amazing thing that he gets to do and then to give it up? Because you don't want to do it because of the implications of it? But lest we're too hard on Jonah, let us consider how we are just like him. We are just like Jonah. Regardless of what your calling is or what, what the Lord has called you, commanded you to do or whatever, there are times even in your calling and in your service to the Lord in which you think, Lord, I wish you would just call somebody else because I don't want to do this. Because there are times in which things are hard and they're difficult 
or things that you know you're going to have to do that are very unpleasant or whatever the case may be. You know what we're all called to do? Every one of us is called to be ambassadors for Christ. Declare the gospel. Share the gospel with the lost. And you know what we often do? We often say, Lord, this is just too much for me. Call somebody else. That particular calling is across the board to all believers. And we say, we say that. Or, or we, we try to give ourselves an excuse as to why we're not doing it. Well, Lord, I know that you're, 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 you're sovereign. And, and, and this, is, this is the difficulty of, of being in the reform camp. Because we do believe in the sovereignty of God. And we would say things like, Lord, if it's, if it's your will that this person be saved, then they're going to be saved whether I do it or whether somebody else does it. So, like Jonah, I'm just not feeling it right now. I'm not in the right frame of mind. I'm not in the mood. I'm not, whatever. Oh, Lord, get somebody else. They'll, they'll be a lot better with them. We're just like Jonah. We're no different than Jonah. And we've all done this. All of us. Whether it's in that general setting, <clears throat> or we think things in our minds and we allow those things to fester in our minds based on the specific callings that we've had. There are times as a, as a pastor, there are times in which there are very, very frustrating times, just as in your own personal callings and life. And there are times in which you just want to say, Okay, I think I've had enough. And you get that way. You start getting agitated at things or, you know, whatever. And so you begin to think this way. But whether it's, it's any specific individual calling or whether it's the calling that goes across the board to all believers, go and make disciples, we have to always come back to this. I have been bought with a price. Therefore, I glorify God with my body. With everything that I do, I am to glorify the Lord because what he asks of me and what he asks of you is very small in light of what he has accomplished on our behalf. Now, whether we are doing ministry or whatever, or maybe we're thinking that um, if the Lord would just call somebody else, it would be less stressful. And there, there, there may be somewhat truths to that, but then there's going to be other things that just cause you even greater stress regardless of what you're doing in life. If you let it. We're, we're no different. We want to run when things get difficult. We want to say, Lord, call somebody else when things get hard. But again, it comes back to this. We have to stop 
and consider. My time of being uncomfortable or my time of being anxious in speaking to this person over here about the gospel is a small price compared to your great and infinite price of redeeming me. Do you think of it in that way? Do you consider that? Do we consider, you know, the, the things that we, that, we, that we know are true, but sometimes we, we, we tend to put those off to the side. You know, the Apostle Paul would tell us in Titus chapter 2, you know, we're looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're looking forward to that. We, we were anxious or we're longing for that rather. Because when that day comes, as we're told of in the last book of the Bible, that there's no more tears and there's no more sorrow. There's no more of the things that we endure here. And this being, as we talked about on Sunday, this is the shortest time of our existence. Lord, by your strength and by your great power, we can endure this time and we can be uncomfortable in this time and we can be stressful in this time and we can be anxious about this during this time because hereafter, this is no more. You think of that. That's why the Apostle Paul would tell us that any of our suffering and any of our trials are momentary light afflictions. But think of the great benefit of what it is that you're doing and what it is that, that, that you're, you're being privileged to be part of. Again, as we talk about the sovereignty of God and we're talking about you know, the Lord bringing about his will, declaring the end from the beginning, all of those things, that we have the privilege as the people of God to be used by him in order to show mercy to someone else and to show grace to others. And to, to bring others into the kingdom and to help others grow that have already come into the kingdom. There are so many great privileges that, that we, we have uh, the, that we're being used for in, in order to bring about what God has willed. His people are the means by which he brings about his will. And that is a great honor. And that is a great privilege. And that very thing is, the, is one of the great truths that Jonah is going to learn. In this book. Not only for the people of Nineveh. But also for those that are going to be here on the ship with him. So God has this sovereign right to call and command. Regardless of how we feel about something. And if we feel differently than what the Lord has called us to do then then we, we have difficult problems anyway because our desires of our hearts should be what God desires. And that is brought about by the Spirit of God, of course. That's the Spirit working in us. That's us seeking after it, though. Seeking to know what the will of God is, that which is good and right, as the Apostle Paul says, and that our desires will be in line with His so that when He does call and we recognize his right to call, that we delight in the calling because we get to be used by him as the means to accomplish whatever he's called us to do. Whatever the outcome's going to be, we don't know, but we're used as the means to do it. 
to bring it about. Now, normally we could look and say, well, you know, the Lord usually, or it seems as if, (laughs) I'll say seems, it seems as if the Lord will allow us to be in our rebellion without any action. Lord, I'm not feeling it. Call somebody else. And then we go on about whatever we're doing. Or as the other camp would say, that the Lord will not violate your free will. You know, one one theologian had said something to the effect of the way that a lot view free will today, that the Lord will not violate your free will or something to that effect. And he said, can you imagine if someone had said that to Jonah? And Jonah would have said, wow, that is so amazing. I wish it were true. Because it's not. Because he's fleeing from the presence of the Lord and fleeing the calling that God has placed on his life. Verse 4 tells us, the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea. And there was a great storm on the sea so that the ship was about to break up. You have the Lord sovereignly intervening here. No, you're going to do it my way. And you think of this, this word for for hurled. And actually here in the first chapter, as we read the whole chapter, as we were opening up, uh, this word is used again of how... Uh, the sailors in verse 5, it says, that, and, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship. And that's the same word. They, they hurled it into the sea. And then when it says that they prayed to the Lord, they asked the Lord not to hold the innocent blood on their hands, all of this. It says in verse 15, so they picked, Jonah, they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, hurled him into the sea. So you get this idea of what this word is. They're hurling the cargo. They're hurling Jonah. And the text tells us that the Lord hurled a great wind right at him. He hurled a great wind onto the sea. Threw it right at him, you could say. They intend on going this way, and the Lord hurls a great wind and say, No, you're not going anywhere. The Lord is sovereignly intervening in the life of Jonah, and not only in the life of Jonah, but in the the lives of these particular sailors as well, through the rebellion of Jonah. And we'll get to that next Wednesday. But this is is once again demonstrating for us that, that God sovereignly will bring about His will in the way that He intends to do it. This is plan A, and plan A will happen Regardless if anybody else is wanting plan B, it's plan A. There is no alternatives here. Plan A is going to happen. And the Lord is going to see to it that plan A happens. Now, often for us, you know, if we decide to to be in rebellion or whatever and not fulfill our calling or whatever the case may be, not often are we going to have maybe a great wind hurled at us, but what does end up happening is even though we think to ourselves, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a, a small feeling of relief, like, 
Yeah, I'm just, I just can't do that. That's a little too much. And then we go on. Often that little bit of relief that we have ends up turning into guilt and conviction. To where often we will either continue to be convicted over it or we will turn then and go do it. Why? Because the God, the, the God that we serve has a sovereign right to call us to do whatever it is that he desires for us to do. And whether it's intervening in a massive way like this or intervening by the Spirit of God who resides within us to cause guilt and conviction in our hearts, the Lord will accomplish everything that he intends to do in your life and in mine. What then do we do? We can remain in rebellion and be at peace with ourselves as Jonah does in the first chapter. We can grieve the Holy Spirit of God by our disobedience. Or we can do as best as we can to line up our desires and line up our life with what we know to be true according to the scripture and according to God's specific call on your life and say, yes, Lord, help me to be courageous. Help me to be bold. Help me to carry out by your sovereign hand and by your strength what you have called of me to do. Help me to do it. This is what we pray. This is what we seek after. This is what we, we, we should be desiring to do. Lord, help me. That's the key, though. There's no way in which we could decide to our, of our own selves that we're going to do whatever it is and say, I got this, Lord. I'm ready now. No, you don't have it. And you're not ready. But only by praying and seeking out his strength and his power can you be prepared to do what he's called you to do. And so everything has to be done in the strength and in the power of God. So, here's some questions. Are we, in our present moment, at peace, being in rebellion over something that God has called us to do? Do we know that we should be doing something, but for whatever reason we've decided now's not our time to do it, or things are not the way that they should be in my life for me to do it or whatever. There are so many different scenarios to put in that. Lord, let me, let me get done with these things in my life and then I'll do that. Or so again, so many different scenarios because we're all different. We all have various things going on in our life and only you know the answer to that. Are you at peace in your rebellion? Are you seeking the Lord and seeking his power to carry out whatever he's called you to do? And maybe you ask yourself, well, what is it that he's called me to do? Has he called me to do anything? And the answer to that is, is yes, he has absolutely called you. He has called you by his effectual calling in order to save you and, and he, his will for you is to be sanctified in the sense of continually growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, growing in your relationship and your fellowship. He has, 
He has called you in order to declare the gospel to others. He has called you and gifted you for whatever it is specifically on your life. So you have purpose. You have purpose in the Lord in order to glorify him. Are you doing that? Or are you running the other way? And I'm often, I try to be careful with that. You know, that, that whole saying of, you know, or, you know, if you're running the other way because, and I'm sure everybody else has heard this too, but there are so many testimonies that say, I was running away from the Lord, and then he called me, or he caught me, or he did this, or he did that. So that's very natural for people to say that, and it is often said, but in reality, is that true of you? Are you trying to move his calling off of you and say, Lord, call somebody else? Do you seek to glorify the Lord in your calling and in your life as a whole? Do you recognize that he is Lord over your life? Do you recognize that that you've been bought with a price? That your time of glorifying the Lord is not whenever you get ready to do it, but that it is from the time of your calling, your effectual calling, and your conversion, that your life thereafter is to be, Oh, Lord, let me glorify you. And if you don't do that, then you then what Peter says in Second Peter, if you're walking in disobedience or you're walking in rebellion, you need to go back and remember your cleansing. Go back and remember your justification. This is going to be a book that is going to teach us much about grace and mercy. Are you showing grace and mercy to others? Have you, have you already given up on some that are in your life saying that they're too far gone or that you have enough anger or irritation in your heart that you say, Lord, let it happen to them. Look at their, look at their rebellion. Look at, look at what they're doing. Look at what they say about you. you get them out of here. Let, let their time be done. I would say on that note, um, of course, this is an assumption on my part, but I would say we have probably all thought that one. Especially, probably not necessarily with people that we know, as much as people that are always in the limelight. Certain politicians within our nation, and we think to ourselves, Lord, they make a mockery of you. Oh, think of the time when they take their last breath. What great terror will enter their heart, knowing what they've done now. I think we've all had certain thoughts of that. Instead of, Lord, be gracious. Let them see who you are. And glorify yourself in their conversion, if it be your will. See, we're often like Jonah. Jonah didn't know any of those people in Nineveh. He just knew who they were. That's it. They're Ninevites. They're enemies of God. Imagine if the Lord had called you and said, think of somebody, I know most likely somebody's popped into your mind. 
whether it's a politician, whether it's an entertainer, whether whoever it is who's always in the limelight, who are some of the famous people that are in this nation, and think of the, the terrible, nasty things that they have said about the Lord and how they've made a mockery of this or made a mockery of that concerning the Scripture and the truth of God. And think of this. The Lord calls you and says, go to them and preach the gospel. We're, we're, we're all going to be very much hesitant, probably like Jonah, like, surely you don't want me to do that. And you know what that means, or what that really implies in our hearts is sometimes, is sometimes that maybe not meaning to, but sometimes we may elevate ourselves to think that, well, thank you, Lord, for being gracious to us, and look how we're serving you now, but they don't deserve it. Sometimes you've got to think of the fact of you didn't deserve it either. You were enemies of God, just as the rest. And I know that may be difficult because we see so much stuff going on, but the fact of the matter is, is that what if those same people on a grander scale, of course, we're talking this, what if those same people who are making a mockery of God were actually converted? Having, ha having the spotlight as they do, think of what would happen if they were converted. Still in the spotlight. How, how great could the Lord glorify himself in those things? So that's what we need to be praying for, O oh Lord. Glorify yourself in the conversion of your enemies. And on a smaller scale for those that we know, O oh Lord, glorify yourself of those that are in my own life that are your enemies. You have saved me as I was your enemy. O oh Lord, help me to have grace and mercy upon them. None of these things are being able that we're even talking about are, are able to be carried out just by us. That's why we have to go back to the very thing we talked about a moment ago, seeking the Lord to help us to do these things. Help me to be gracious. Help me to be merciful. Help me to be bold. Help me to be courageous. Help me to fulfill the calling that you've placed on my life. Help my attitude to be differently that I can honor you and delight in what it is that you've called me to do. And it is all in the Lord's power. So the very thing that we, if we recognize where we fail and we recognize where we're coming short, then we go back to the very thing that's going to help us more so than anything is, oh Lord, help me. That's where we go. This is where we start. If we recognize that we haven't done what we should have been doing. We haven't acted as we should. We haven't fulfilled our calling as we should. We haven't been gracious as we should. Whatever it is, this is where we begin. Lord, you can do all things. I can't. Help me to be what you desire. And I pray that as we work our way through Jonah, that that will be a prayer that we will begin to pray from now on. Help me to be what you desire of me. So I pray as we work our way through this book that it will be a great blessing uh, to us as individuals and us as a church. It is an amazing book. It is uh, a book that, again, is more than just a man being swallowed by a great fish. And we will see that in the coming weeks. Let's, let's stand together.
Let's, let's pray together. <clears throat> Gracious God and our Father, again, we come before your holy presence. And Father, we, we recognize, uh, your, you know, what, what perhaps our calling is or what, what our, our tasks are, what our responsibilities are. Father, we don't, we don't carry them out as we should, and, and we recognize that we don't carry them out as we should because perhaps of the, cor- the corruption that still remains within us that we fight with, that we often war against. But, Father, help us. We can't do it alone. We can't do it in our own power. We need you. We need you to intervene. We need you to, to strengthen our hearts to give us conviction, to give us that resolve to, to seek after the kingdom of God. Father, do a mighty work within us. Shape us and mold us to be all that you desire and change our desires. Let our desires be yours. That not only are we striving to line up our lives with you, but we're delighting in doing so because we recognize what a Great and mighty and awesome God, how gracious and wonderful that you really are. Oh, Father, we need you. We need the Spirit of God to do a mighty work within us and to continue to do that work until the day you call us home. Be glorified in your people, and may we be changed greatly by going through this particular book. To you be the praise, the glory, and the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for your attention. You are dismissed.